Jesus wants to tell you something today. And it's just two words, but it might be all you need today. Are you all ready? He says to us today, take heart. You know what's really great about those words, take heart? Is yesterday the women's uh, ministries had a coffee, pastry get-together at the church. And they handed out a sheet of paper that had those words, take heart, on them. They didn't know I was going to talk about this on Sunday. I didn't know that they were going to hand these papers out yesterday. We have a word for that. Providence. Sovereignty. Here's what was on their sheet yesterday that they handed out. This year, take heart that the light of the world is sovereign. No matter how dark our surroundings may seem, the light has overcome. May your faith be bolstered as his light guides your feet. May you find courage to hold the light high and not hide it under a bushel. May your fears melt away in light of his promises. May your eyes always stay fixed on Jesus, the true light. Take heart. That's what we're going to talk about today. May your fears melt away in light of his promises. We're going to talk about our tendency to fear. We're going to talk about how crazy and out of this world God's promises are. We're going to talk about keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. We're going to talk about taking heart. And the Holy Spirit knew that 10 billion years ago, and he decided to show us his love today by letting us as a church know that no matter what happens in this church, we can take heart. Whatever is going on in your life today, Jesus says to you right now, take heart, have courage, don't be afraid. You, Christian, can take heart because Jesus is working in and through every detail of your life for your good. So don't be afraid, little flock. Don't be afraid. In fact, that's what Jesus said to the disciples once. Okay. The Lord bless you, brother. Here's what Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, verse 32. He said, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. I love that verse. Fear not. We don't have to fear right now. God knew that that would transpire right now as I was saying these words. He knew that we would have several police officers in this room right now to go escort that gentleman out. We don't have to fear. What a beautiful nickname he gave us. Little flock. Fear not little flock. Think about that. A little flock should be scared, shouldn't they? But little flocks, little flocks of sheep don't have to fear. Why? Because Jesus says your heavenly Father takes great delight. He takes great pleasure in giving you the kingdom. As he took great pleasure in the sacrifice of his son Jesus on the cross for our sins, so too he takes great delight to give his children the kingdom. 
And part of that kingdom that we are receiving, as Hebrews 12, 28 says, part of that kingdom that we are receiving now is the new heavens and new earth that we will enjoy with our new glorified bodies. And that's what the Apostle Paul has been talking about in 2 Corinthians 5. So turn there in your Bibles now. Last week we saw that God is preparing us for us new glorified bodies that we will enjoy on the new earth. And he gave us his spirit as the down payment, the guarantee that this will come true. That's all part of the kingdom that God delights and takes pleasure in giving to his children. But until then, we are still jars of clay. We are still wasting away. We do still face troubles in this world, troubles in this sanctuary even. We're still living in a fallen, broken world where we can very easily lose heart. We still live in a world where our fears can appear to us like these gigantic monsters that come and paralyze us. We still live in a world where we might chew our fingernails down to our elbows. A world where things happen and we don't know why. And in that world where fear and worry and confusion and depression and sickness are everywhere, we pick up the Bible and we read what Paul says in our passage today. And then we scratch our heads and we think, really, Paul? Really? You're always of good courage? Always? In this world, you're telling me, Paul, that you're always of good courage? Okay. Paul really said that. So let's talk about it. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 6. Hear the word of the Lord. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Now, please understand that when Paul says here that he is always of good courage, he doesn't mean that he's always going around saying, zippity-doo-dah, zippity-yay. He's not saying that. He doesn't mean that he never has bad days. We've seen that so far in his letter. In chapter 1, he said, ministry was so hard. I was suffering so much. We just wanted to die. Paul has had some days where he was seriously down in the dumps, but he doesn't stay there. Why? Because, as we saw last week, God has given Paul the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who pulls Paul up out of the dumps, out of looking at temporal things, so that he can get on his tippy toes and focus on the eternal. So what Paul means when he says that he is always of good courage is that when his heart gets recalibrated with the gospel by the power of the Holy Spirit, then he says, I'm always of good courage. He's always of good courage as he suffers, as his body wastes away because the Holy Spirit was given to him as a down payment guaranteeing that God would raise Paul in resurrection one day. The very presence of the Spirit gives Paul, reason to be full of good courage no matter what comes his way in the future, even death itself. No matter what happens in Paul's life, even when he faces the twisted, perverted monster of death, 
Paul does not fear even death because the Holy Spirit is with him. Even though Paul suffers immensely, he doesn't let his sufferings dominate his thinking. He knows that this life and all that we suffer in this life is just a moment and a a vapor and a mist. And then then it's glory. Then it's joy for eternity with Jesus. The word that Paul uses here that gets translated in the English Standard Version as good courage means boldness and confidence and courage. One commentator says that this verb connotes the fear that vanishes upon the reassurance that God is in control. The fear that vanishes leaves the room when you get the assurance that God is the one who is in control and not human beings. In other words, providence, what I mentioned earlier, providence makes fear vanish. God's providence, the truth that he is in control of everything in his world, his providence over all things dispels our worst fears and can actually give us courage even as we suffer. Providence causes us to take heart. Ralph Davis describes providence this way. Providence is God's way of providing for the needs of his people. That's not all of it, but some of it. When I use providence here, I mean that wonderful, strange, mysterious, unguessable way Yahweh has of ruling his world and sustaining his people. And his doing it frequently over, under, around, through, or in spite of the most common stuff of our lives or even the bias of our wills. God's providence is his interesting and fascinating way in which he works out all the details of his kingdom and in the lives of his children, his little flock. So understanding that God is ruling his world and sustaining his people in wonderful, strange, mysterious, unguessable ways will bring comfort to your heart. And understanding that he's doing all of that over and under and around and through and even in spite of the most common stuff of our lives or even in spite of the bias of our wills, understanding that can comfort your heart. And it's received by faith. We affirm God's providence over all things. We affirm his sovereignty because we are a people who walk by faith and not by sight. And that truth can comfort your heart even on the worst days of your life. Jesus actually used a form of this word that Paul uses here. Paul uses this word twice in verse 6 and 8. Jesus uses a form of that word in the Gospels. And Jesus uses the same word, a form of the same word that Paul uses in order to bring comfort and encouragement to others that he encounters. In fact, I would say that this word that Paul uses here, that Jesus uses, is one of Jesus' favorite words. Jesus loves to say to sufferers and sinners, Take heart. For instance, and here are a few examples of this same word in Matthew 9, 2. 
I'm going to read some verses here. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And then later in Matthew chapter 9, Jesus tells the woman with the issue of blood who had been bleeding for 12 years in Matthew 9, 22, Jesus turned and seeing her, he said, Take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. And when the disciples were scared, when they saw Jesus walking on the water, he used this word in Matthew 14. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And again in John's gospel. I've said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So when Jesus says, take heart, take courage, don't be afraid, he wants to reassure frightened people. Little flocks. He wants to comfort them. It's his heart going out to a scared child and basically saying, it's going to be okay. I'm with you. I got this. And it isn't so much a commandment to not fear as it is a word of reassurance and comfort. It's less of a command, fear not, and it's more a word of comfort. I got this. Not to be afraid of anything. Not to be afraid of anybody. Even if they make death threats to you. And that experience of being comforted by God is what Paul is talking about here in 2 Corinthians 5. Paul has been comforted by God. He told us that back in chapter 1. He described God as the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our affliction. Paul understands what it means to be afraid. To have fear come knocking on your door unannounced. Paul will tell the Corinthians a little bit later in chapter 7 about a time in his past when he was full of fear. 2 Corinthians 7, 5 to 6. For even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. In fact, Paul was actually full of fear, not courage, when he planted the Corinthian church. Did you know that? In 1 Corinthians 2, 3, Paul says, And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. Paul was so full of fear as he started his ministry in Corinth that Jesus had to appear to him in a vision in order to talk Paul down from the ledge. Acts 18, 9. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid. But go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you. And then a few chapters later, Paul gets a few death threats. Providence. Did you hear what that guy said? You'll be scared on the street if I pull a gun on you. Paul got death threats. And Jesus once again appears to Paul and uses that phrase that Paul uses here in Acts 23, 11, 
The following night, the Lord stood by Paul and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. And so the Apostle Paul knows a thing or two about being scared to death. He knows fear. But Paul also has firsthand experience in taking heart and being of good courage because Jesus comforted him with the words, Take courage. So this is less of a command to not fear, and it's more of a soft voice of reassurance. It's comfort from the lips of Jesus, like the way a parent would comfort their child when they're afraid. A good parent doesn't rebuke or scold their child for being afraid. A good parent doesn't say, stop being afraid, I can't believe you're afraid. A good parent doesn't do that. What do they say? They say something like what Jesus would say to us. Do not be afraid. I am with you. Hold my hand. Everything's going to be okay. Paul is always of good courage because Jesus reassures him with his word. And I think the reason Paul says we are always of good courage is because he assumes two things. Number one, life is always full of opportunities to fear. Life is always full of opportunities for us to fear. And number two, Paul knows Jesus will always come alongside us and speak words of comfort to reassure us at some point and in some way. Paul knows that life is hard, that life in this body, when we're at home in this body, life in this jar of clay, while we are away from Jesus, Paul knows it's going from one trial to another all the way until death. And that's why Paul says that we walk by faith and not by sight. Because life is, if life is one trial after another and we actually walked by sight, by what we see, then we wouldn't be full of courage, would we? Who can be full of courage when you walk by sight? Who can be full of courage if you don't, by faith, look to the things that are eternal? You can't. The only way to be full of good courage is by faith. And Lamont said, courage is fear that has said its prayers. I like that. Courage is fear that has said its prayers. That's it. That's faith. You take your fears to Jesus. That's faith. You pour your heart out to Jesus. Whatever is happening in your heart, you go tell it to Jesus. You go tell it to Jesus because he is the one whom your soul loves. And that's also why Paul says in verse 8 that he would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. He would rather leave this world behind and go be with Jesus because Paul knows that while we are at home in the body, we go from suffering to suffering and from trial to trial. That's why he would rather be with Jesus. He doesn't want to suffer anymore. Paul knows that being at home in the body means one minute you're having a good day and then you check your email And you get bad news. Or you get a phone call that turns your world upside down. Or you receive that diagnosis. We're always being put in situations where we have to trust the Lord. Where we have to walk by faith and not by sight. So we never grow up spiritually to the point that we are immune from trouble and hardships. We are always being put in situations where our fears show up and threaten us. And it will be this way for the rest of our lives. 
So to always have courage means that you have to routinely be put in situations that are fearful. Think about that. To always have courage and not fear means that you are routinely put in situations where there is a real temptation to fear. So we have to get the notion out of our heads that we can reach a place in our lives where there are no more curveballs, where there are no more disruptions, where there are no more surprises. Listen, life is full of curveballs, isn't it? Life is full of disruptions. Life is full of surprises. But it's also full of the presence of the indwelling Holy Spirit and the comforting words of Jesus. Take heart, my son. Your sins are forgiven. Take heart, daughter. Your faith has made you well. Take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. Take heart. I have overcome the world. Take courage. Listen, you will never reach a place in life where you are exempt from the temptation to fear. But you will also never reach a place in life where Jesus' words, take courage, do not be afraid, cannot reach you. So from run-of-the-mill trials to lifelong suffering that never ends, all the way to death itself, Jesus' words of comfort will find us always. And that's why Paul says, so we are always of good courage, because Jesus' words always find Paul. No matter how depressed he is, no matter how down in the dumps he is, no matter what is going on in his precious little heart, Jesus' words always find him. The Spirit always takes the words of Jesus to Paul. And it's true for you too, Christian. You cannot outrun the comfort of the God of all comfort. Even as you approach death, he is there. Even when you breathe your last breath, Jesus will be there and he will take you by the hand and he will lead you through the valley of the shadow of death and he will whisper into your ear in that moment, take heart. But if we don't take heart, and we look at the here and now, and we focus on the temporal and not the eternal, then fear does come in like this gigantic monster, and courage runs away. So when we suffer, what we end up feeling like is that it's just us and the things we fear in the same room, right? We know that Jesus is in heaven, Paul says that here, but we forget that he's also with us. So when we experience whatever kind of suffering we are facing, it can feel like the only two things in the room are, number one, us, and number two, the things that we fear, whatever they are. Cancer, relationships, job, family, school, you fill in the blank. And we can feel like we're facing those monstrous things alone. It's just that thing and us in the room. And all of that is a perfect recipe to produce fear. All that we experience in the body is an open invitation to fear. But Paul is full of good courage because he has the Spirit. Jesus said in John 14 that he would not leave us as orphans, but would send the Holy Spirit. And that's why Paul doesn't succumb to fear as he suffers. And so Paul is saying, I take heart. I have courage. I do not fear while in this body. I walk by faith in God's promises, not by sight, not by what I see. Yes, I'm wasting away, but I don't fear. God is in control, and I trust him while I am away from Jesus. 
while I am at home in this body. While I suffer and waste away, I will not give in to fear. I will take heart because Jesus is bigger than anything that I can suffer in this body while I'm away from the Lord. And so we walk by faith, not by size. S-I-G-H-S, size. We walk by faith, not by size. We keep our eyes on our Savior, not on all of our sighs and sufferings. And so here's what, what you have to do when you suffer, when that gigantic monster of fear shows up in the dark. You have to introduce your fears and your worries and pressures and suffering to Jesus. You have to drag your big, monstrous fears into the room and say, fear, meet Jesus, and fear will shriek. And your courage will grow. You have to drag your worries into the same room as Jesus and introduce them. Worry? Meet Jesus. He actually knows my future, not you. He's in control, not you. And what happens then? Worry shrinks and courage grows by the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen, part of what it means while we are at home in this body, as Paul says here, part of what it means while we're at home in this body to walk by faith and not by sight is connecting your problems with God's promises. One way that you can walk by faith and not by sight while you're at home in the body is to introduce your sighs and sufferings to your Savior. You just have to take your fears and your worries and introduce them to a promise in Scripture. You have to say, fear, I want to introduce you to Psalm 56. And then you read Psalm 56 to your fears. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? Or you say, worry, I want to introduce you to Matthew 6. And then you read Matthew 6 to your worries. But if God so clothes the grass of the field which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So whatever comes up in your life, there's always a promise to introduce it to. There's always a promise in God's word. There's always an opportunity to say, anxiety, have you met 1 Peter 5, 7? Listen, you're going to spend the rest of your life introducing your problems to God's promises. And so stick your nose in this book. Because if you're ever going to be able to say with Paul and company, we are always of good courage, you need to know who to introduce your fears to. And that's Jesus. And you need to know his promises. Here's a thought. Are we really walking by faith if we're not staking our lives on all of these wild, crazy, out-of-this-world, too-good-to-be-true, hard-to-believe promises that our God has made to us? If no one thinks we're crazy for sticking our necks out and trusting God's wild, crazy, out-of-this-world, seemingly too-good-to-be-true, seemingly hard-to-believe promises, are we really walking by faith? 
the Christian life is all about believing some pretty crazy promises from God, right? Yeah? We're coming back from the dead. That's pretty crazy, isn't it? The Christian life is all about believing all of these crazy promises that are true and real and can be counted on. While we are at home in this body, our homework is to know and believe all these wild and crazy promises of God. So let me ask you this morning, where in your life do you need one of these wild and crazy promises from God? What's happening in your life where you need a crazy promise from God, and if you believed it, people would think you've lost your mind? What crazy promise do you need to believe with the result that people think you've gone crazy? Stick your nose in God's word, find a promise, then stick your neck out and believe it and watch people scratch their heads and wonder if you have lost your mind. Listen, if no one ever thinks we're crazy for the way we stick our necks out in trusting the wild, crazy, out of this world, too good to be true, hard to believe promises of God, are we really walking by faith? Something to wrestle with, something to consider, something to pray about. What crazy promise of God do you need to turn into a prayer while you wait until you see Jesus? Now, this is not easy. Please understand that. Don't misunderstand me. This is not a quick fix thing. It's a fight of faith. It's a battle. It's a fight. A fight to walk by faith and not by sight because seeing and looking at and observing all of your promises or problems, that's easy to do, right? Looking at temporary things is easy. Looking to eternal things, on the other hand, is a fight of faith. And that's why you need the Holy Spirit. You need to cry out to the Holy Spirit and just say, Help me, Holy Spirit. I can't do this in my own strength. I can't fight the fight of faith. You know my track record. I go to church and say, Jesus, I love you. I want to serve you. And then I go home and fight with my family and I want to indulge all my sins. Our track record is not that great, is it? We need the Holy Spirit to be able to fight the fight of faith. Alec Motier said, Since it is through faith in the Lord's promises that we are saved... And surely, if faith is mighty to solve the great and eternal problem of our sinfulness, alienation, alienation, and helplessness, is it not the way to tackle every problem? To look up to our almighty, ever-loving God and say, I trust you. The vision of the enthroned God is the great stabilizing factor in life. What are you going through today? What nightmare are you dying to wake up from? The way to tackle whatever problem you have today is to look up to your almighty, ever-loving Father and say, I trust you. And sometimes you have to say it a few more times. I trust you. I trust you. I trust you. I believe. Help my unbelief. What Alec Motier said is true. The vision of the enthroned God is the great stabilizing factor in life and the enthroned sovereign God who providentially rules his world in such wonderful, strange, mysterious, and unguessable ways. He says to you today, Christian, take heart. Christian, the Savior that you long to be with, he is working behind the scenes in wonderful, strange, mysterious, unguessable ways in your life. Right now, right now he is. 
He's ruling his world. He's sustaining and protecting his people. And he's doing it frequently over, under, around, through, and in spite of the most common stuff of our lives and even the bias of our wills. And he will do it all the way to your death. And you can believe that today. You can trust his promises. You know, my thorn in the flesh is that I just don't sleep well at night. At night. I never do. If I get five hours straight, that's like... That's a good night. I woke up at 3 a.m. this morning, put on a, some lectures listening to by Daniel Block. He's an Old Testament scholar. Um, and I heard this phrase. He said this. He said, sometimes the mark of faith is relaxing about what God has decided to do. Sometimes the mark of faith, or walking by faith instead of sight, is relaxing about what God has decided to do. We walk by faith, we relax, trusting that Jesus paid it all, right? We walk by faith, we relax, trusting that it is finished. We walk by faith, relaxing, trusting that Jesus can't remember our sins. We walk by faith, relaxing, and trusting that God saves sinners. We walk by faith, relaxing and trusting that for our sake, God made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And if God did all of that while we were dead in our trespasses and sins, and if he did all that while we were his enemies, and if he did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with Jesus graciously give us all things? And if he gave us his Holy Spirit, won't he also work all things together for our good through all of his wonderful, strange, mysterious, and unguessable ways of providence? Yes. Yes, he will. No matter what happens, we can trust our sovereign God. So Christian, hear your Savior say to you today all those words of comfort that he spoke to people in the gospel. Take heart, my son. Your sins are forgiven. Take heart, daughter. Your faith has made you well. Take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. Take heart. I have overcome the world. Take courage. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we admit we need your Holy Spirit. Lord, we are just a little flock. And on our own, Lord, we should be scared. When we get threats, we should be scared on our own. But because we have your spirit and because you are sovereign, we will not be afraid. To belong to Jesus doesn't mean we are free from the messier emotions in the kaleidoscope of feelings. It, it just means we handle them differently. In our anger, we choose not to sin, Father. In our grief, we learn to weep with hope. In our fears, plural we learn to trust in you. You haven't given us a spirit of fear. Rather, the spirit you have placed inside of us is the spirit of power, love, and self-discipline. We need the power of the spirit today, Heavenly Father. We need power to keep our minds and hearts set on things above. If we knew, if we really knew what you know about everything happening in our world, we would worship you rather than worry. We need your power to resist the lies and the spirit of panic with which the devil would love to paralyze us. 
Help us to take heart. Help us to introduce our problems to your promises. Help us to relax about what you have decided to do. In Jesus' name, amen.